Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, a little information for you and the listeners. These are your trigger warnings. We're going to be talking about horror movies, which could involve anything from murder, rape, suicide, child abuse. Um, For those of you in the Patreon club, you've probably already heard a few F-bombs, but for everyone else, this is your warning. There will be F-bombs and S-bombs and B-bombs and D-bombs and all, all the other bombs. So... If that's not something you care to listen to, uh, you can cut out now or you can you know, go ahead and take a moment to think about that and come back. But if that is your thing, listen to us say all the fucked up shit and talk about really fucked up shit. Fucked up shit. Yes. <laughs> fucked up shit. Isn't it fun? Also, if you're new here, we're going to do a, a little announcements uh, section here at the start. Uh, Chris wrote a webcomic and I wrote a book. Uh, Chris's comic is about a family of cannibals secretly living on an island in New York. He's currently publishing the prequels leading up to the main story. So if you get over there now, you can learn, uh, get to know the characters, learn about the characters. Uh, my book was a quick, quick reference guide to some of the tools that you learn in therapy and recovery and 12-step programs. Um, it's originally meant as a field guide or a quick reference guide for for people in recovery, but there's a lot of good stuff in there that could be useful to anybody, whether you're in recovery or not. Um, that book is called uh, A Guide to the Recovery Toolbox, for obvious reasons. There are links to both uh, his webcomic and my book on our website, the Horror Makes Us Happy website. Um, there are also links to our merch on Redbubble. We have lots of cool designs for t-shirts and stickers and stuff, so check that out. And if you want to support us on Patreon, there's a link for that too. We greatly appreciate that. Um, Who's on the calendar next? We've got Zoe Smith from Zobo with a Shotgun, Ashley Cruel, uh, who's an FX artist on a couple different projects. Um, we're going to be doing a change in format uh, moving forward. We're not doing the polls on Facebook anymore so that we can use the scheduling feature of our podcast hosting company. Um, this will allow us to give our guests firm release dates so that they can plan around those. And um, we'll try to work polls back into the mix once we think of some good ways to use them. Um, but that said... Chris. Today's guest is Barbie Wilde, actress and author, best known for uh, her role as the female Cenobite in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Also Death Wish 3. And oh. Death Wish 3, yes. I would thank for having me. <laughs> Thanks thank for you. having me. No, thank yes. you for letting me be on your show. Glad to have you. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in this interview, we'll be asking three sets of questions covering childhood, teenage years, and adulthood to find out what it is about horror that you like. Um, coming at the same questions from multiple angles like that sometimes triggers memories that we forget about. Um, that said, it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's anything that you don't want to talk about, just let us know and, you know, say pass or something like that. And we'll move on. Um, but starting with childhood, what, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Um, oh, uh, that's interesting. Um, okay. This is weird because I was going to start off with something completely different, but I have a very clear memory of being four years old, being in my mother's wonderful garden, looking at her raspberry plants with this little boy and, um, uh, you know, and then we saw a hummingbird. Now you don't, that's not something you see a lot of, especially in Canada, Right, mm. and this kid's mouth dropped open, and his chewing gum fell on the ground. And he picked it up, dusted it off, and put <laughs> it back in his mouth. 
Now, even at that early age, my mother had given me her obsessive compulsive disorder. I, like most little girls, I ran to tell on him. Mm-hmm. And I went to my mother and said, little Bobby just, you know, fell on the ground. Oh, my God, it's so disgusting. Oh, mom. And she said, oh, darling, that's all right. A little dirt will never hurt you. And I went, I felt so betrayed. <laughs> and he had told me dirt would hurt me. So that was horrifying. <laughs> but <laughs> moving right along, I had an older brother. And every Saturday, he wanted to watch the creature feature. I mean, this is, you know, mostly black and white mm-hmm. films from the 50s that they mm-hmm. deemed safe enough to show in the afternoon. And I think it was Invaders from Mars, the 1953 version. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, m- most of my, my favorite horror is sci-fi horror. The okay. little kid wakes up during a lightning storm spaceship landing tells his dad dad goes out to the cornfield disappears Mm. into the ground right Mm. comes back he's weird he turns around and something has been drilled into the back of his neck right Mm. now this then happens to mom you know he's trying to tell everybody that aliens are taking over his parents and this film scared the poop out of me when i was a kid and um, when my dad used to go down into the basement because it was cool down there and he'd read his sci-fi books and he'd come back up and I would, he was very Check cold. his neck. I would check <laughs> his neck. Huh? And I told him years later and he said, I always wondered why you used to pull at the back of my shirt when I came up from the basement. How embarrassing <laughs> is that? And then the other one, of course, was the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I looked mm. up the dates. In 1956, I'm talking the black and white versions of these yes. films. The parents put the pods, the alien pods, under the kid's bed, right? Mm. And all those pods in the truck and stuff. So what that made me as a young child was exceedingly paranoid. I love mm. my parents. I trusted my parents, but I looked under the bed for the pods Every night. Oh, of course. That's the whole thing about the pod people is, yeah, you trust them because they still look and sound like your parents. And also, that just gives another level of terror to the whole what's under the bed thing. You've got an actual direct representation in a film of, yes, there is something under the bed. It's a cabbage that's going to kill you. Yes, Mm. exactly. So it was under the bed for the pods, in the bed for spiders, and just to make sure that there was, like, no boogeyman in the closet. So Mm. that was my... Um, routine every night. And because my brother was four years older than me, I mean, I was like eight or nine when all this was happening. My paranoia was blooming. Um, But then um, when I was 10, Star Trek happened. I'm aging myself horribly here. My father built me this replica. Sorry, I'm going to get emotional here. Of the Enterprise and strung it between the the two far posters of my, you know, four poster bed. And had a little green light in the bottom. So I would go to sleep and look at the Enterprise and think one day I'm going to become an astrophysicist and invent a spaceship and get the fuck off planet Earth <laughs> and meet, meet Captain Kirk with his perfect bum and, you know, Mr. Spock <laughs> with his fabulous intelligence. And, you know, to me, that was like a bright, shining, hopeful moment um, right. with the whole Star Trek thing. But, you know, I was six or seven 
you know, another favorite program of my father's was The Twilight Zone by Rod Serling. Of course. But you see, the wonderful thing about The Twilight Zone, it had this beautiful moral core. Mm -hmm, And so bad things happened, mostly to the bad people. Right. And, you know, if you you tried your best and you were good, then you would be okay. I mean, it had a great moral core, The Twilight Zone. Um, and, uh, but those, those, I, have I, okay, I did Invaders from Mars, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and the other one that really freaked me out, again, the 50s version was the thing from another world. Hmm. We, I, my partner and I watch that movie all the time now. It's so adorable, and the, it's, it's sort of like a romantic comedy, but at the Arctic with aliens. Because the dialogue is so snappy. I really highly recommend it. How um, have I slept on this one? Is this related to the thing or who goes there? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. the, it is the first version of the thing. Yeah. Um, of course, Carpenter's thing. Now we're sort of moving ahead of ourselves because Carpenter's thing, I saw it as an adult. I had a nightmare about that before I even saw the movie. Mm-hmm. That's more, it actually is much more based on the original short story. But, hmm. you know, as the, the, the uh, journalist says at the end, watch the skies, because <laughs> there could be more out there. You right. never know. Yeah, it's, it's that, uh, again, like the body snatchers, it's that unknown horror of someone that looks just like everyone else. I was so lucky, I guess. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't so lucky because I had an overactive imagination. But they, they would let me stay up and watch. Oh, look what's on. You're 12. It's hit Alfred Hitchcock's new film. It's called Psycho. Let's yeah. watch it. <laughs> this will be fun. This will be fun. Are your parents horror fans? So no, no, not at my mother was very sort of um, like I said, she was a rather tender soul. Mm-hmm. Um, she thought the whole idea of the birds was horrible. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the kids getting pecked and stuff. But if it's Hitchcock, we'd be watching it when it came to for it to be on television, which I think was of the late sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd watch it. We'd watch everything that, you know, Marnie, that's another one that's kind of a very strange, obsessive film. So uh, to me, Hitchcock is the master of suspense, obviously, but he did do a, a couple horror movies that were, were excellent. But uh, we just mm-hmm. finished watching. Um, we do this little thing. We watch Hitchcock, which is all about Anthony Hopkins playing Hitchcock making psycho and how difficult it was he Uh, nearly was ruined financially Uh, i remember reading about that yeah yeah oh the the film is fabulous and helen mirren plays amal revel the uh the studios didn't want to do it so he ended up promoting basically paying paying it for it himself and he used his tv uh production people to to make a movie basically yeah yeah and it's brilliant it's beautiful it's black and white it's it's it's, so we watched hitchcock one night and the next night we watched psycho and watching it again Mm. i mean i watch it about every six months or something because Mm. to me i think it is kind of the perfect film about that genre now do Mm. i need to go back into my childhood oh no Um, (laughs) yes we are still on childhood so let's see uh what were some of the other things we've covered influences um did you have any um, any friends or, or any fellow uh, horror fans? Horror fans as a child? No, Your brother, you mentioned? It, it, no, no, just that um, I, <laughs> I didn't have very many friends. 
I just sort of changed oh, okay. my personality when I moved my last year of high school. I thought I cannot leave without mm-hmm. high school without getting some friends. So mm-hmm. I kind of just I joined drama club and I sort of went, you know, I still had to get good grades. And one of my friends came up after they posted up the honor society. Said, Barbie, I didn't know you were smart. And I went, aha, you know, that's really <laughs> sad, isn't it? You know, that's, that's, a play that's almost a, a slightly insulting thing to say. I didn't know you were right? smart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. But anyway, no, no, nobody I'm else. I'm this nice and I'm smart. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, our family, we always felt like outsiders, really. Mm-hmm. And mm. I think that we, you know, my dad and my brother had this total bond with science fiction. My mother wanted me to read little girl books, but my brother was s- slipping me, you know, John Carter of Mars, Carson of Venus, Moon Maiden, you know, all the jo- mm-hmm. the, the Edgar Rice Burroughs books. And then I got into the Conan books, which was like, whoa, um, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful misogynistic stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and lots of sci-fi. And my my father was an engineer, so, you know, I mean, I wasn't particularly scientific, but he was. And so this whole sort of the whole science fiction thing mm. and the horror that went with it was was all part of it. Out of curiosity, why do you think your family felt like outsiders? I think it's, well, we, we moved and we went to a town where we didn't know that many people. And we're all mm. really kind of quiet people, you know, okay. that just didn't easily make friends. I had a few friends. You know, I did have a few friends once I got into high school and stuff. You know, we just we just sort of kept ourselves to ourselves, really. I mean, I don't really remember going out. One time my my father said, hey, let's have a cocktail party. And my mother got all zhuzhed up, and I was serving the canapes, you know. And <laughs> I was talking to this one guy, and it turns out he was a member of the John Birch Society or something. And it's like, whoa. This I know is, what that is, but I can't put my finger uh, on it. It's sort of Remind just me? one step below very, very, very right. I don't even want to say yeah. their names, you know. Um, but anyway, he was just talking about, you know, really horrible things. And how old were you at the time? Oh, I must have been about 15 at this point. Okay. And so um, teenage. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was, we were, we, the the other thing, actually, horror related, of course, for me was that I was growing up in the early sixties, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there was this. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the film Thirteen Days about the Cuban Missile Crisis. I haven't we seen were, the film, but I figured that's where you were going with that. We were really close to being annihilated or whatever, and yeah. um, uh, uh, you know, I I said to my dad. I've even written a short horror story called Botophobia that talks about this, you know, having a, a, um, a air, uh, not an air raid shelter, but a bomb shelter, you know, mm-hmm. nuclear shelter. Mm-hmm. I said, let's, let's build one. We have this huge empty yard. And my father said, there's not much point. You'd have to stay in it for 20 years. And when you came up again, the world as we know it would be gone and everything mm-hmm. would be probably still radioactive. So better to just die in one big, bright flash of light. It's a bit dark. Thanks, Dad. Fathers of <laughs> no, I, I 100% agree. I mean, you, you get into a bomb shelter, even if the bomb shelter works, if it sustains you in there, yes, you'd have to stay in there for decades. And then when you come out, what's to come out to? A bunch of ashes and, I don't know, cats with two heads. Well, exactly. I mean, 
Exactly. Now, nowadays, we know that wouldn't exactly be true because of what's gone on around Chernobyl. I mean, nature's bounced back quite a bit better than than we expected it to. But but at the time, yeah, there's a lot of people that thought, why bother? Yeah. Mm. No, there's actually a couple really, really good Twilight Zones about this. One is, I believe, called Mm. The Shelter. And this guy, you know, everyone makes fun of him because he's built this bomb shelter, but then something goes weird and they think aliens are attacking or something. And people are, you know, breaking down the door of his shelter to kind of get in. Um, But I used to lie awake at night thinking, is a bomb going to drop on my head? I was a worried child, as you can, (laughs) you can hear. Starting to pick up. Yes. (laughs) Wasn't, uh, wasn't the one... What was the, the one with the guy with one who wanted, he was a bank teller, but he wanted oh, to read books. Yes. Wasn't that one also Burgess, about nuclear? Burgess Meredith. Yeah. Yes, he, he would lock himself in the safe every day with his little sandwich so he could read yep. and not get bothered. And yep. then there's, um, I can't remember the title of it, but it's, it's, it's very poignant. And because I have worn glasses all my life. Yes. It's <laughs> not fair. It's just not fair. <laughs> it was time so now. Sad. Yes. Oh God! Oh, so you have seen that one? Um, I've seen oh, that's right. You said you've seen the show. Oh, I, I, we watched everyone that and the you know the first Outer Limits, mm. Um, mm. and also actually I used to run home every day to watch Dark Shadows. Ah, <laughs> nice. And but that was more sexy horror because you know yes. Barnabas well, Collins, man, I've wanted him to lock me in that coffin. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, he was always locking governesses in coffins. I seem to remember. And then there was, you know, the guy who played the werewolf and um, all this sort of stuff. That was fun. But I think my when we moved, we moved from one side of the country to the other, and I had a. Um, it was my last year in high school, and my my um, teacher. I chose gothic literature. And I did the vampire as a term paper. Did the vampire in British, uh, the vampire in Gothic literature, and my mm-hmm. teacher said, "Barbie, you've got a truly Gothic mind." Mm-hmm. And at seventeen, that really, thank you. <laughs> Just, but I, I loved Dracula. That was I watched. I read Dracula, uh, Polidori's, you know, Camilla, all these sort of vampire things. But Dracula was to me the the ultimate. I thought it was uh, brilliantly done. When you were a child, did you participate in Halloween? Oh God. Yeah. My mother was brilliant at doing costumes. She could make costumes out of like a tablecloth or something. And um, she actually dressed me up as Mata Hari because I was supposed to play a historical character for Mm. one sort of thing. And, you know, she gave me some, she got this bolt of red satin or something and wrapped it around me like a sari, you know, Mm. And uh, no, she, we, we were very enthusiastic and she would decorate the house and have a skeleton hanging and turn the lights down and, you know, give candy to people. She really dug it. Um, Did you have a favorite costume? Oh, she made me this witch costume. That was fantastic. What he had extended nose, the whole thing. Oh, no, no, no. She didn't go that far. <laughs> she wasn't a makeup artist. Uh, no, <laughs> what you love about it? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's just, I had this black skirt, but would have flowers on it. And she just turned it around and put it over my shoulders like a cape. And mm. you wouldn't see the flowers if you're standing at somebody's door. And she mm. had, I think she'd gotten some witch hat from somewhere, but it was just such a, a brilliant idea that, that she used the skirt as a cape. Right. Uh, 
Very inventive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was good. Um, least favorite costume? Least favorite costume. Oh, God, I, I don't remember. That's the only one I remember, actually. Hmm, okay. But we did do the whole trick-or-treating stuff, so I must have had them. But um, lost in the mists of time. <laughs> did you did you enjoy the process of dressing up or putting on makeup or was what was it about it that you enjoyed? Well, I well I put on makeup every day from from the time I was about ten because I okay. always had, <laughs> I always had at least one little spot right that I had to cover up. But um, mm. so I used to sneak into my mother's bathroom and just use her makeup. But I, I perfected the sort of natural look. Mm. Um. So, but I've always loved putting on makeup. Um, okay. But I appreciate makeup artists tremendously because, the, you know, they I've, I've never been, you know, I'm not to that extent, you know, that. Uh, Did you have any really scary dreams when you were a kid? Of course. <laughs> any that, that jump out at you that you remember? Well, surprised. a lot of people say no to that one. Uh, the, the thing is, when we moved um, to, you know, when we felt sort of isolated and out, you know, outsiders and stuff, we were renting and mm. there was a locked room in the basement that we weren't mm. supposed to get into. Right. Mm-hmm. Blackbeard. <laughs> exactly. Or no, Bluebeard. <laughs> and the, Bluebeard. the finally they moved the stuff out. I don't know if we'd bought the, I don't know what the, the thing was, but um, they, they, the, the room was empty except for a tiny Victorian baby carriage, wicker, Baby carriage. <laughs> no. Luckily <laughs> empty, right? Yeah, right. It was like a toy. It wasn't a real baby carriage. Oh, but okay. That, that was spooky. And all the boxes of, you know, my dad's sci-fi books and analog and science fiction and fantasy books, you know, and the covers mm. of that was amazing. But so that was like, whoa, whoa. But the the scariest dream I remember having is I was I my dream was I was lying in bed looking out the doorway of the bedroom bedroom to the mm-hmm. hallway mm-hmm. and the great god pan was there playing his mm. flute mm-hmm. Seder, huh? and he he said come and follow me and mm-hmm. i was so frightened i couldn't move you know it was one of those sleep paralysis moments uh-huh. and um so i struggled struggle 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 the sleep paralysis dreams are to me always the worst and it's always you're sort of where you're supposed to be but you know you can't turn on the bed right or something but i finally woke myself up but i told a friend of mine years later about this dream and she was a white witch she said oh if only you'd followed him maybe yada yada but um <laughs> No, I recently had a dream when I just walked into the living room and I thought, oh, I'm supposed to be asleep now. And somebody threw a blanket over my head. Mm-hmm. And because my, you know, one of my fears is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, home invasion. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's really nasty. And, you know, again, I've written a, a short story called Gaia about that. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, when, it's, it's great because, because I write horror. It, it's sort of, it's like therapy. But that that's those kind of things. It's somebody in your place and they know you're here. It's not like they've broken into your flat or your apartment to steal stuff. They want you to be here so they can do stuff. That's mm. let's see, that's real life horror. Yes. Um brings it close to home. Yes, yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Can I wildly change the subject for two seconds? Go ahead. Because I just remembered there are two films, again, that I have to mention that 
really made a huge impression on me. One was The Innocence with Deborah Carr, 1961. Okay. Again, saw it with my parents. Do, do you guys, are you familiar with this? No, no. not that one, no. This is one of Doug's favorite horror movies, too. And yeah. it's, um, it's based on the novel The Turn of the Screw, but it's a ghost story. I love ghost stories. <clears throat> and the other one, of course, is The Haunting. Again, that's 1963. They remade mm -hmm. it, ghastly remake with Liam Neeson, who I be mm -hmm. adore beyond measure. But this was a real stinker, the remake. <laughs> but the first one had Richard Johnson, Claire Bloom. Oh, God, I can't think of the lead actress. She was wonderful. Russ Tamlin, who was in West Side Stories in it. It's a black and white film, but it's really got some fantastic moments. It is a classic Again, ghost story. And, oh, they've done a TV series of it. The Haunting... Of Hill so, House? Yes, The Haunting of Hill House. Based and, on that, okay. Yeah, it's, it's based on the movie. And it's, it's real. I haven't seen the TV series because the movie is too sacred to me. But I, I have I, never I, seen this movie, but that is an absolutely beautiful spiral staircase. Mm. Yeah, oh. oh, are you looking at pictures from it? Yes. It is... I think one of the most effective ones, and there's such a shocking moment in it. It really is haunting, <laughs> uh -huh. and um, it's great. It I, I cannot more enthusiastically recommend that. And again, it's a film that I see, I watch regularly. We've talked a lot about. Sorry, we've talked a lot about these different movies that you've mentioned and shows uh, and some of the things that scared you, but what, it, what were some of the things that you loved about them? I think, okay, this goes with every horror movie that I might see. I don't actually watch a lot of horror movies. Mm -hmm. Most of my viewing was came, you know, when I was younger, all this sort of stuff. Nowadays, if I'm writing horror, you know, I, this is the thing I always say. The last thing I want to do is go and watch a horror movie. I want to go and see a movie with Pierce Brosnan in it, preferably drinking, a, you know, I'm drinking a margarita while watching Pierce Brosnan. You know, mm. so it, it's got to be very special. The thing is, nowadays, it's hard to find horror movies that really take a, are interesting or intelligent. Oh, that's not fair. Um, not necessarily the intelligence thing, but I think it's, to find something that surprises me, mm -hmm. right? Now, I saw the remake by the Soska sisters of Rabid, Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. oh, I adore Cronenberg. Right? Nice. I haven't even got into to David Cronenberg, another Canadian. That was mm -hmm. wonderful because it had a feminine sort of sensibility. And I don't mean this in some kind of, you know, a lot of – uh, guys can look at this in a negative way. It's absolutely not that way. It's it's the girls I call them girls. The Soskas are, you know, they're they're they love horror and their stuff is oh, yes. really freaking visual. If you uh, visceral, if you haven't seen American Mary, do so imme oh, immediately. Love American Mary. Oh right, okay. So you'll love Rabbit if you loved American Mary. We should get Catherine um, Isabel on the show. Ah yeah. Anyway, moving on. She's lovely. No, <laughs> she's she's fabulous. Um so, you know, love that. Um, Hang on. I, I want to pause for a moment because the things that you mentioned, um, you know, interesting, intelligent, surprising. I'm, I'm wondering if you were saying those things coming at them from the perspective now as, as maybe an author uh, for at least a, not, maybe not you, but a lot of people, there's a, there's a difference. There's a, there's like a split between 
when you start coming at it as an auteur versus your initial impression of it as just without thinking about the the work that goes into it. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I totally understand and, what you and mean. So I'm wondering what were the things that you loved about it, about these things that you've mentioned, these these shows and TVs, what were the things that you loved about it as a child before you started to learn about the art of it? Well, I think, you know, when, when, when you think most kids my age, and I'm not saying I didn't watch Gilligan's Island, mm. but <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, most kids my age were watching Gilligan's Island. But before that, we watched The Twilight Zone. Every mm. night, we would watch The Twilight Zone um, after dinner. And it was on at 7 o'clock, I think, which is astonishing. But, you know, it was the, that wonderful twist ending that he always gave. The irony. Right. This is where I learned irony you know and it's you know most kids my age suffered from a har har irony deficiency right mm -hmm. you know you get enormous amount of irony and intelligence and twisty tales from rod serling who's one of the best writers of this stuff ever um right. and i think that's what I, I look at now i mean i'm just trying to desperately think of a recent horror film oh, okay the autopsy of jane doe have mm -hmm. you seen it yes I love that film because my serial killer novel is written from the viewpoint of the serial killer. So I had to get into his head. And so I would just watch CSI up the kazoo. I've read homicide, practical guide to homicide investigation, all this kind of stuff. Autopsy of Jane Doe was like watching CSI meets horror. It was wonderful. It kind of was. Yeah. And it was very yeah. isolated too. Just those two oh, people yeah. in the autopsy room and the twist at the end was yes. just yeah. fantastic. There's another one of my favorites that I love is called, I'm sort of going now into more my adult choices is um, audition. It's a Ch Japanese yes. film. Oh. Uh, it starts out as this like, you know, little romantic comedy. Yeah. It, it takes a while for it to pick up, but when it does, Oh, it's, it's genius. Absolute genius. Mm -hmm. And as in many ways, it's the same as from dusk till dawn. It starts out as this sort of psychopaths on the run caper movie. And then all of a sudden, holy There's vampires. shit. <laughs> Mama <laughs> Hayek turns into a vampire. Woohoo. Mm -hmm. And it's, I love movies it that is, do that. Oh, but see, this is like, you know, people, oh, wow, it's cross genre. You shouldn't really do that. Well, you know, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love that. You shouldn't should. How about that? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my friends had never, never let said anyone shouldn't. should on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 it's bad. Um, but I have to say that I think that, um, you know, anything like that, that sort of, sort of it's, it's, I saw a, a, a recent film, um, my partner didn't like it much, but it was called The Burnt Orange Heresy. Hmm. And it starred the fabulous Klaus Bang. And it's, it basically starts out like this art guy, he's in Rome, blah, 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 blah. He's, he's authenticating paintings and Mick Jagger turns up, you know, <laughs> my painting is, is, you know, and then you think, Oh, it's kind of sweet. And then Elizabeth Delbecki pops up who was in widows and the night manager and she's gorgeous. And they start having a little thing and they go to this fabulous villa. And then all of a sudden it turns into this, Whoa, what's going on? What are you doing mom? And it was, it, again, it was this total twist at the end. Um, which I probably spoiled for people who are interested in watching it. But um, mm. I mean, he's a marvelous actor. And if you haven't seen the new Dracula, I really recommend it. Anything that has nuns 
you know, like 20 nuns with crucifixes lined up outside of this convent, you know, daring him to come in. You know, mm-hmm. so, so the way they did it was just absolutely brilliant and quite funny and amusing and interesting. But that's it. It's to be surprised. There's so many movies where basically you've got a girl wearing a boob tube, running through the forest, and a guy chasing her with a chainsaw. Those are not films mm-hmm. that I particularly want to see. <laughs> okay. So that's let's let's try teenage years. What were some of the uh you mentioned thirteen days, I think that was that around your teen years or was that earlier? Oh no, no, I saw that long, long time. I mean that's not a horror movie. That's a well it is, it's politics. <laughs> right. So <laughs> um of course when I was a student I went to see a fair amount of films in f- a funny sort of way. When I went to university, uh we had a cinema that was a dollar and I saw a Clockwork Orange. Now, okay. I don't know if you would consider wow. that horror. I would consider that, in, in the very least, a psychological horror. Oh, God, yeah. It was brilliant. And I've been lucky enough to do some conventions with Malcolm McDowell and his stories about the making of it. It's like, oh, my God. He actually nearly went blind because he, that thing they put mm. to keep his eyes open and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That I think was probably one of the most shocking films I saw when I was I was eighteen, mm-hmm. and because um, it had this very brutal rape in it at the beginning, and it's like, oh my god! Right. Well, actually, no, she, she manages to escape. Um, yeah. yeah, but you know, holy kid, there's there's a naked person. <laughs> you know, I'd never seen yeah. anyone naked in a movie. I think I had seen Clockwork Orange when I was fourteen first, and then later on, my friends and I decided it would be a good idea to watch it on LSD, and that, that was a terrible <laughs> idea in retrospect. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Oh, jeez. Why would you do that? Uh, yes, again, terrible uh, idea in retrospect. At the time, it seemed like a good idea, and then we're just, you know, 30 minutes into it, like, should we be this watching? This is a bad this? idea. This is a bad idea. Oh, I, I must admit, seeing, you know, I would never want to do that. I, mean, I remember seeing, um, well, I was in my 20s by this point, and, um, hey, let's go and see Alien. It sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. And I just being mm-hmm. utterly horrified. I actually was watching the beginning of the movie with my hands in front of my face, you know, and, and my boyfriend at the time said, I paid eight pounds for us to see this. Movie. <laughs> You're going to watch this. I paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what scared you about it? Um, well, something in that when I mean, it took me about four or five viewings before I actually could keep my eyes open during the bit where John Hurt peers into that egg and mm-hmm. that thing comes out. Yeah. It was the idea of something being on you, inside of you. When it burst out and ran off, that totally freaked me out because it was like this little snaky thing. When it mm-hmm. grew up, I was fine. Yeah. You know, oh, he's a big monster now. That's cool. I've seen yeah, that since I was six. Facing people down. But yeah, the whole personal invasiveness of the face hugger. Plus, it's, it's funny irony again. I was just thinking when he's sitting over the egg, it's, it's that pregnant pause tension of what's going to happen. And yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It just, happens. I, I, I have to confess when I saw Aliens, Two. Oh, I know why I went to see it. I went up for one of the parts of the Lady Marines. Really? <laughs> Believe it, yes. Huh. I went in wearing this sort of multicolored um, Bermuda shorts and ja- a men's jacket, but for women, mm-hmm. fishnet mm-hmm. tights and bright pink stilettos. The perfect outfit for Lady perfect. Marines. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, I was going up for the, the, the pilot girl. I could have played her. Um, 
but uh, they said, oh, you're going to have to go to boot camp and everything. I went, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but I had training as a, in Kung Fu and I was, uh, I'd done fencing and I was actually very fit and at that well, you point. You were overqualified so. for that role then. Probably, yes. So, but then I thought, oh, we've got to go and see it. And so I went with my friend Pascal, who was also an actress, and we were sitting there. And there's a bit where Sigourney Weaver and the little girl Newt is, are locked in the, um, the infirmary mm-hmm. with a scampering facehugger. Mm-hmm. And this bit where it sort of slips down, you know, and it's right there. And, there's a, yeah. and I screamed and knocked her handbag down. <laughs> and so we're on her hand and knees and she's trying to, you know, stuff her contents back in her handbag. And she looked at me and she said, it's okay, Barbie. They're just bits of plastic and glue. <laughs> but never for me. You know, I, mm. when I go and watch a movie, I'm living the movie. Well, yes. I mean, that's the whole point. If you yes, just exactly. take yourself out of it and think it's just, you know, bits of latex and animatronics, then it defeats the whole purpose of watching a movie. Exactly, right. which is why when little, you know, when people come up to me and say, "I, you scared me to death when I was eight uh-huh. years old," and I said, "What were your parents thinking? Of? <laughs> this has got S and M shit in it. You know, this is like yeah. eight's a little young America. for Hellraiser." Yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I sorry? said eight is a little young for Hellraiser. Yes, I, I would have thought so. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe you know, they said ten or something, but still, I mean, this is. Um, you know, they had to cut out the spanking scene because they thought that was in the he- first Hellraiser because they thought that was a little <laughs> bit too oh Troy. But um, right. uh, I, you know, because um, I hope you guys don't mind me saying this, but Americans do have a reputation for being totally embarrassed about sex. British. Oh, yeah. And, no, we're total and the Brits are the same, you know, and my partner's Norwegian and he goes, huh? He was raised in sort of France. So it's like, what is the fuss? That's <laughs> yeah. um, why we're Although all Harry here. Although Harry spanking it's, scene in Hellraiser, to me, that just seems a little too campy. I probably would have cut that too. <laughs> well, no, no, this is because they had, uh, Julia and Frank had this uh, uh, S&M relationship. Mm-hmm, I mean, okay. she really blossomed under his uh, infernal touch. Tutelage. Yes, yeah. and and it was just a little bit of you know, um, but the, the the American producers wouldn't go for it. So jumping back to teenage years, what were some of uh, we mentioned uh, Clockwork Orange, yeah. uh, possibly Alien, and any others that jumped out at you as really being influential to you in your teens? Well, I think you know again, this is um, not I didn't or watch- not even necessarily movies. You know, books qualify too. Mm-hmm. Sure. Ah, well, of course, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Mm. I was 13. Mm. I think that was a little bit beyond my reading age, but of course, reading it under the covers, it was like, oh, you know, it's pre-reading Dracula. So that made a very big impression on me. And you know, I don't, I've never seen the movie because the book bothered me. (laughs) I would love to see it. What bothered you? Well, I don't know. Just all these people sort of manipulating her and being in this sort of, and her husband, again, the person you love and trust Mm -hmm. is is actually selling your body to the devil or whatever so he can get a part. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, uh, I'll never forget it. I've only read it once, but it really, really stuck. uh, teenage years. So, well, again, it's sort of like uh, I would say the the Hitchcock films. Uh, let me let me go back to Rosemary. Ba- let me go back to Rosemary's Baby for a second and ask a different question. What did you love about it? I'd never read anything like it. 
um, I mm. thought it was like, you know, for someone who was just coming into their pre, you know, teenage years, it was actually kind of sexy in a weird okay. way. And I can't remember what was sexy about it. You know, I thought Dracula was very sexy. Um, but this is, a, you know, the, the what is sexy to a 17-year-old, what is sexy to a 14-year-old. You know, it's like right. um, uh, it, it, was, it was disturbing, I think. Mm -hmm. But you see, this is like, you know, again, something I, I've sort of slightly, you know, Clive was raised Catholic, I believe. And my mother was a lapsed Catholic. You know, she married a Protestant, but she always regretted not raising us Catholic. Mm. Now that has this sort of tension of, oh, if I'd only raised you Catholic and what that all brings apart. Now, believe me, mm. I will come into the why I'm talking about this. It, it's the whole thing about erotica becomes a bit twisted. When I did go to um, church with my parents, I think, you know, you sort of had to. Um, we did the Stations of the Cross and, you know, oh my God, he was whipped and this was that. And, you know, it was all kind of really horrific yep. and um that sort of makes a thing and so i think the the um you know uh, i actually wrote a short story about my character or the character of a female cenobite i called it sister Celise, and i i based it on gary tunnicliffe's idea that she had been a nun in a mm. previous life mm. and so all that you know repressed sexuality all of that and then what are the cenobites offering Freedom. Everything, yeah, the, the exact opposite. sensuality. Right. That's what humans try and do. They want to make sense of the universe. Yes. And the only way some people could do it is to, using the words of the blessed George Carlin, invent an angry guy in the sky mm -hmm. that controls everything. Um, and he loves you, but if you don't do what he says, he's going to send you to hell so you can suffer. Yes, that right. doesn't sound like love to me. <laughs> because <laughs> I love you. Know, yeah, because I love you. I love you. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but it's, it is a, a interesting sort of conundrum. I don't know why. I think maybe I'd like to think my parents thought I was sensible enough not to be scared or bothered or anything of these things that we'd all just sit there on the couch <laughs> did, and watch. Did they know you? <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea how neurotic I really was. I but, you know, my brother would be at the end of the couch playing, practicing his bass guitar quietly, unplugged. My dad would be falling asleep gently on the other, and my mother were, and I were sort of sandwiched in between watching these movies. And um, But, you know, I think they, they thought I was sensible enough to, to deal with it. And, and if I had any problems, I would talk to them about it, which, of course, you never did back in those days. <laughs> Mom, right. I don't want to see these scary movies anymore. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm glad I did. And then they'd laugh at you and tell you to toughen up. Yeah, no, no, they wouldn't do that. No, I think they'd instantly turn it off. But I think mm. they found it interesting, so why shouldn't I? And mm. I was, you know, by that point a teenager. So, you know, I, I felt it much deeper, I think, than they did. For them, they'd just go to bed and go, ah, Hitch is great, you know. I would argue in that sense you uh, had more of an appreciation for it. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and it sort of gave me a, you know, I'm still working it all out, <laughs> but it gave me a, um, it certainly made my inf my imagination. Uh, I was just thinking but, how to bring the word imagination into it, you know, but basically, you know, something along the same lines, uh, you know, your lower, lower bar for the willing suspension of disbelief and, yes. uh, 
One of my favorite lines from Basic Instinct. It must be fun making things up all the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. they call it, um, you, have to, you have to, it's called suspension of disbelief. Uh, now there, is that a horror movie? It's got Depends a serial killer? who you're talking it's to. At least suspense. <laughs> suspense, yeah. Um, but no, I'm just trying to think yet again of, of horror films that I may have seen. I liked, I didn't like Sinister and yet it haunted me. Is that the one with, is it Ethan Hawke? Yeah. Yeah. What about it haunted you? Well, uh, can I tell you what I hated about it first? Sure. Okay, you're researching this book, and you go into this house where all these people have died, and you don't tell your family, and then you think there's a home invader, and so you walk around in the dark with a baseball back, not telling your family to wake up and go and get into the bedroom, and so you can call the police. Yeah, right. I, that, I have to agree. I, think, I, I enjoyed the film, but that really was one of my least favorite parts of it, was the inconsideracy, if that's a word... Oh, I like that word. <laughs> Inconsideracy. Yes. Claiming it. Mm. But yeah, why Why would you not tell the rest of your family? Why? Because you know, they'll be upset. I felt sorry, you know, what happened at the end, but I didn't feel sorry about him. Nope. Did not and, feel sorry for him one bit. He Absolutely. But the imagery really was haunting. Mm -hmm. You know, I do love films that have, you know, are, are visually exciting. And of course, a, a couple years ago, um, the two films that came out was A Quiet quiet Place. Mm -hmm. Hang on, hang on. We're not done with this one. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, oh we're not right, done right. with Sinister yet. Okay. <laughs> uh, what, what about the imagery was haunting? Oh, God, the kids. And, the, mm -hmm. you know, I just remember that sort of the, the lawnmower thing and the swimming pool. Was it pool. like the, I mean, the grainy eight millimeter quality of it? Or just yeah. the fact that these kids were doing these horrible things? Yeah, no, no. It was just... just Great. I mean, to be honest, I haven't seen it in a few years, but um, it just struck me and it haunted, it did haunt me afterwards. I just wish he hadn't played such an irritating character. And I think that is a problem with a lot of, you know, the, you know just moving, segueing on, uh, segueing to um, a quiet place. I really cared about those people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it hurts when one of them gets hurt. I didn't give a shit about Ethan Hawke, although I still <laughs> love him as an actor, you know, and, and that's the thing. So if something happens to them, eh, so what, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like going through, oh, sorry, just about to say, missed a big, big influence. Again, okay, I was in my teens and I was, I have, uh, at university, I had an anthropology class and my anthropology teacher said, who wants to go and see The Exorcist? Mm -mm. This is when it's out in the cinema, mm -hmm. and um, we there was about five of us, and we went to see it. And I'm sitting right next to him, and he's going, "This is terrible. Max von Sydow's technique of digging in in Iraq is terrible. <laughs> he could be destroying artifacts." I'm like, "It's like sitting next to my dad when we were watching the Poseidon Adventure. This only happened in you know in 1944 and and." Um, in Norway, and it's the ship turned over, but it was on the side of a fjord. It's impossible for this to happen. And don't tell, I won't even tell you what he said to me when we were watching Jaws. Um, God, that shark is so fake. But this is, <laughs> but you know, that was really fucking freaky watching The Exorcist. And I'd read the book, so I knew what was going to happen. Um, yeah. But uh, my favorite Exorcist film, though, has to be the, the third one to me. That is just the, um, which I saw it like 20 years later. But that was so. The, uh, I, I, hang on, I, <laughs> sorry. So, 
I, I don't want to just run down a list of your favorite movies. I, I'm trying oh, okay. to understand what it is that you loved about these things. Like what, what's the common thread of like, what, what triggered the emotion? I don't know. It was just this uh, never see, you know, you have to understand this is seeing it in the cinema in the seventies. I'd never seen a film like the exorcist before. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. even know exorcism existed it was a thing huh. right it was a thing was it more like the uh i guess the adrenaline or the uh the excitement of something new and scary i guess i think the thing that upset me the most two things is that what happened to that little girl her face how it became so mm. corrupted you know and the the pea soup vomit i'm very mm-hmm. sensitive about vomit but one of the scariest moments i think is when father Karras. oh god i remembered his name is looking at her, and then there's a moment when he switches. It switches to his mom being in the bed. Mm-hmm. His, you know, mother. Oh my god! Um, and it's it is these, you know, these connections of of the sort of a dream state. Do you know what's dreaming? Why is he seeing his mother? No, it's a little girl. No, it's it is a corrupted spirit inhabiting a little girl. No, it's his. You know, that's the thing that that these are the the moments that that touch me and all that. And I'm being devastated when Max von Sydow has a heart attack and stuff like that. And um, when yeah. you said it, it touched you. I mean, like for example, when you, if you're talking about the moment where you're looking at her and saying, what happened to that little girl? I can understand that maybe touching a part of you. If you're relating to the girl, mm-hmm. um, were you relating to the priests in that moment where, you know, he saw his mother was, Yes, because everything there, whatever is in that room, is fucking them all up. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, there was all it was a masterfully done film because it would go out and you you know they'd be outside or they'd be eating breakfast and then the camera would go up their stairs and go to that kid's room again and I would just feel my heart sink. I said I don't want to go through this. Mm-hmm. You know something bad is going to happen in that room, and by God mm-hmm. it did. Almost- I mean I suppose. The, the 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 idea of watching horror, of course, is the catharsis of uh, you get rid of all these emotions and all this kind of stuff. But I think I don't know. That's why I, I have an uneasy relationship with horror because I had so much of it in sci-fi, mm-hmm. which was scary to me. I mean, aliens—that's pretty scary. You know, people coming yeah. down, you know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, but I think that that's um, I, I I'm like I said, I'm very selective with my horror nowadays. A, I'm older, you know, and I just want a quiet life. And getting, you know, a jump shock or a jump scare now is, you know, who knows what might happen. Um, I, I, one question I really wanted to ask David Cronenberg because we we met during um, a Q and A at the Toronto uh, Horrorama Festival, and we saw Maps to the Stars, which is kind of like a Hollywood horror movie. Is that I want to say you often explore themes of mental illness in your movies is there any particular reason for that because that always it's always intrigued me as well is um i think there's i couldn't even finish watching spider with ray fines i don't know if you saw spider that's mm-hmm. a crime yeah yeah it's a, a schizophrenic and i just thought oh you know i can't i can't watch this there's certain things where I see people who are f- fragile mentally, like the heroine of The Haunting of Hill House. She's very fragile, and I feel for them. 
And um, but sometimes it is hard to do. You, watch. Do you find yourself um, relating to characters? I don't want to say too much or too easily, but um, I'm trying to find how to word it. Uh, I guess easier than other people. I, I don't know. Um, do you consider yourself it, a bit of an empath? Far too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's I. I feel far too empathic. Not only to people normally, I, you know, that's why I wrote a book about a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Because in a weird sort of way, like how liberating, A, to write as a man, but write as a man who doesn't really give a fuck about anybody or anything except yeah. his own twisted desires. Mm-hmm. You know, not that I want to do that, you know. Um, <laughs> no, but you it's know, like uh, you were talking about Max von Sydow a moment ago, and it, it made me think, like, I, I think that's almost a quality of good writing or good uh, filmmaking if you turn the viewer or the reader into an empath in that your your characters and story are so good that the person takes on the role of the person they're watching. Like You, you can feel the terror that Max Monsetto had when, uh, when the girl turned into his mother because the story and the experience is that good that you just you become Exactly. That. Exactly. I think one of the biggest challenges in any piece of artwork, whether it's movies or books or even music, um, it, it was sort of a comment I made on a YouTube video years ago about, you know, there was somebody saying such and such is the, the best guitarist in the world. And I said, you know, at a certain point, the being the best artist in any field is all, all you're saying is that artist is making the same choices you would have made in that same situation. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to writing, the challenge is how do you present a situation wherein the characters make certain choices that everybody in the world would agree with those choices. And the problem is that very people often agree with, you know, choices, but you have, how do you do that in a way that's creative and isn't a story that everybody's heard a million times before well, the way you do it. And I think that Stephen King said something similar is that you don't write for everybody else in the world. You only write for yourself and you really hope that people will plug into what you're doing because otherwise you'll never be happy. If you, you become what I call, and my, my partner is a composer and all his life, he's always written from passion. I have always written from passion. If I'm passionate, I've, I've read my first book about serial killers when I was about 19. I thought, Jesus, I didn't even know these people existed. Oh, except for Norman Bates. You know, <laughs> whoa, this is a thing, you know. And I just thought, why are they like this? Why are they so different than me? And that I turned my passion into a novel, mm-hmm. right? A journal of a serial killer. Because right, but what I we're wrote- talking about. But what we're talking about is the the em- empathy that you're feeling with a character, and there are some people who can step outside of themselves, put themselves in empathy with a character, and follow along with Stephen King or your work or whomever's. And there are other yeah. people who just won't. Mm-hmm. Well, that's their problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sucks for them. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like I can't write for everybody. If I do, I become what my partner calls a mechanic. Yeah. No, and I'm not suggesting that you do. No, no, but I'm, but no, I'm, oh, no, no, of course it's, it's cool. But it's, but basically I think you can either be the kind of guy who writes 
personal rights pastiche or, oh, wow, it's just like blah, blah. But to, to try and be some, do something totally original and take all the chances that is, because we live in the arts in a risk-adverse culture. Oh, why don't we do a film that's like Cabin in the Woods, but it's an apartment in New York City, but we can have all the same cast, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But this is the challenge of being an artist or a writer or a musician. It is, yeah. You have to make the choice of do I make money or do I do what I want? Right. But hopefully, um, hopefully you'll make money by doing what you want. Yes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of doing something different, I'm going to try something different here and ask some questions that we normally leave until the end of the interview. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, the next two questions or the ne- next few questions are looking back over your entire life, not just any one section, but um, what is your, what would you say is your favorite movie? That, that I was in? Or? No, just period. Just period. Oh, my, yeah. my favorite horror movie. No, just your favorite movie of any genre. Any genre. Any genre. Oh, oh, I hate it when people ask that. I can I know, possibly right? choose one. Can't just choose. Yeah. No, no. Okay. <laughs> Say, oh, what is the film that you watch the most? That's no, no, no. See, question. that's the second. That's the second question. <laughs> oh, that's the second question. Oh God. Oh. Okay. Dear. So we'll answer that one first. Yeah. What, what's the one that you've watched the most? I don't know. It's terrible. Um, I, I, we watch a lot of films over and over again because of comfort, especially now in these horrible times. Oh What's my the first God. one that comes to mind? Okay. You know, only because I just watched a biography of Ingrid Bergman. I love Casablanca. Uh, okay. Is it a film that I've watched? I haven't watched it recently. I love the Maltese Falcon. You see, two of my favorite writers in the world are Dashiell Hammett. And, um, oh, the other guy, Dashiell Hammett and Raven Chandler. Because they were, okay. it's like my, my favorite writers, and, and I love, I know he's the sexist, and all this stuff, but I love Hemingway. I love people who can get their point across in just a few brilliant words. And these mm-hmm. three writers were brilliant and succinct. And, you know, I love those films because you keep coming back to them. I never trust people who say, oh, my all-time favorite movie, you know. It's like, how could you choose just one? If I had to choose just one, Psycho. Yeah. Or anything by Hitch, you know. North okay. by Northwest, I love that. That's a perfect suspense movie. So that's a good way of, uh, you know, uh, translating that question. What's your favorite filmmaker? You can just answer with Hitchcock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. But I think basically, when I think about all the times I've watched Psycho, I probably have watched that film more than any other film. Do you see any common threads with uh, what kinds of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical, ghost? Psycho? No, horror in general. Do you see any common common threads about what kind of horror you like? Well, the thing is, I I more go towards films that that explore people's humanity and psychology. Because if I hadn't been an actress... My major, what my minor was archaeology, but it could have been psychology because I'm mm-hmm. fascinated by what makes people tick. Mm-hmm. Always have been. Okay, so you know, I've, I've witnessed some things that you know it's not really apropos of whatever the word is to 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 mention now, but um, you know how the mind works and how it can go wrong mm-hmm. so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, that fascinates me. Curious. Well, we'll come back to the ghost movies thing in a second, but like, for example, 
in your interest in what makes people tick, why would why horror though? Because aren't there other genres that explore those things? Oh, of course. And you know, I'm interested in in seeing them too. But mm. um, you know, it it is uh, was sort of like um, what was the first film that he did? Ah. With Bruce Willis and the little kid. I see oh, dead people. Six Sense. Six Sense. Six Sense. You know, I, I thought that was fascinating. But, you know, then you see the ending and he's actually dead, you know, but he thought he was alive. That's a ghost, but, you know, it's yeah, just right. stuffed with ghosts. And I, I, I fell for it. Um, you know, my stepdaughter said, oh, I knew he was a ghost from like, you know, the first 10 minutes. I went, oh, yeah, fuck sure. off. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but no, no, it's just that that's the thing that because that's about the only thing that might really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if I've answered your question. I, I think so. It sounds like the answer was um, spectral, otherworldly, other and, and also psychological, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Well, aliens scare the poop out of me. And I always have done. And when you saw um, that very famous film with Richard Dreyfus, Close Encounters, and they're all like these little kids mm. that come out, mm. I was disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to see the aliens, huh? Hey, where's the tall guy? You know, it's just, um, I've, I've always been kind of concerned. And yet, having read books like John Carter of Mars, you know, the, the red-skinned inhabitants of the mm-hmm. um, Barsoom you know, are you know they're just like humans, and they're you know perfectly nice people, and all this kind of stuff. But um, you know, I don't believe that necessarily aliens are, you know. But I, I've, I'm intrigued by it, and the whole sort of Roswell thing and stuff like that. I mean, of course, there is every possibility that there are, you know, other life forms looking at us with a jaundice eye, wondering what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see a film called Life? I think it was called. Yes. And mm. and I, I, there were some interesting aspects of it. I'm not a fan of it because of the complete lack of science and logic in certain things. Like, let's get the flamethrower on a spaceship. Yes. What? No. What? what? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. See, it was so irritating. I mean, what a cruel waste as well mm-hmm. of Jake. Oh, I know. Great and, cast. And lo- the lovely Ryan. If you want to see a good movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, watch Enemy. That is a good Enemy one. is great. Enemy is great. And um, there's another one where he plays a, a really sort of horrible. Oh, Nightcrawler? Um, y- yeah. Yes. No, he's, he's a wonderful actor. And I love Ryan Reynolds beyond measure. Oh, yeah. Cruel waste of him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just you get, a, you get this like little thing, and it was just like it has a. Um, I think there was a. a Alien Prometheus had the same thing. It's like stupid scientists. Mm-hmm. I really hate the whole stupid scientist thing. If I had to have a pet peeve mm-hmm. about science horror, it's the stupid scientist thing. Yes, but um, it's it's kind of. There's another film that I've only seen once that was true horror, and they've said it was like Hellraiser in space, Event mm-hmm. Horizon. Mm-hmm. Yes, a uh, an extended cut of that is coming out soon, and I hope, 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 hope. It has the extended hell scene, which was apparently lost several years ago. Oh, wow. 
that would be interesting to see. But then again, it was just like, oh, God, I don't know if I could watch that again. You know, not yeah. like a, a wuss or anything, you know. I mean, I've been in horror movies. I've created <laughs> screams, you know. Yeah. But um, it, it's, you know, you don't want to get, you know, the, the sort of waking up in the middle of the night sweating because you're reliving something. True. Uh, but that film was really disturbing. Let me um, let me summarize what I feel are some of the common themes that I'm hearing uh, throughout our call here, because I'm, I'm hearing two different sort of two or three different tracks of things, and I'm trying to find figure out what the common ground is among all of them. Um, I'm hearing that you have a, a very high appreciation for intelligence. Um, you have a high capacity for empathy, not only wanting to understand, but be in the shoes of someone or something other than yourself. I'm also hearing, you know, some parts of paranoia, uh, interest in, in, dis <laughs> yeah. in disturbance, um, yeah. and fear. And I'm wondering how those things combine with the intelligence and the empathy and how and or why are those things combined is what I'm getting at. Well, I'm human, I guess. <laughs> well, that, yes. <laughs> Excellent answer. I'm just a cocktail of emotions. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's weird because I've just suddenly realized I've left out two, uh, well, one huge love of mine. What's that? Vincent Price. Mm. Ah, yes. And Peter Cushing. Mm -hmm. And Christopher Lee. Now, I'll deal with Vincent Classic. first. I'll keep it quick theater of blood Res mask of the red death especially mask of the red death again whoa that was like i'm very sort of apropos to now everyone's you know parting up in the castle with vincent while the whole poloy is scrabbling for a potato and dying of some horrible disease mm -hmm. you know that's that's pretty amazing but he was brilliant and yet my favorite film of his is laura i don't know that is a film that i've watched a million times have you ever seen laura Mm -mm. Ringing a bell. Dana Andrews, Vincent Price, the beautiful Jean Turney. And it starts with the investigation of the murder. And policemen often say they suffer from a Laura syndrome where ah. the policeman falls in love with the victim. Mm. And then it changes. And you wonder who killed Laura? Oh, then there's a chat. I won't do it. You must see it. It's brilliant. But Vincent's fabulous in it. But. I have to say, I think one of the the first film again. I should have mentioned this <laughs> ages ago. Was of course Dracula, the horror of Dracula. It was known Dracula. with Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. Those three actors I did want to get through to you because that was the sort of time between adolescence and adulthood mm -hmm. where I discovered Hammer horror mm -hmm. and and um, you know all the the brilliant films that Corman made. Hold on a second. Hello? What's my favorite film? <laughs> yes. That's impossible, I've been told. He's right. <laughs> can't narrow it down to just one. There's no, I can't narrow it down to one. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm so glad I remembered Vincent and Peter and, well, on first name basis, yeah. of course. Um, Christopher, because those, those, you know, I think Christopher Lee's Dracula is probably one of the sexiest ones. Um, so if we were to summarize what it is you love about horror, I, I, I'm still hearing intelligence and empathy, it, unless you can think of other. 
Well, I think, yes, I love it. Well, I have to say that this is, you know, as I've said before, I'm, I'm, I don't watch horror indiscriminately. Mm. So if, if I like a horror movie, it's got to surprise me. It's got to mm. be smart. Maybe sexy too would be great, you know, to have some element in it that has a bit of erotica in it. Because and see that, to me, that, that falls under empathy because it's making you feel something. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah. Okay. But, you know, there's a lot of, 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 you know, it's like I think Klaus Bang's Dracula is really sexy. You know, why? Well, I don't know. It's just normally draining somebody's blood is not a sexy thing. Mm. But it's also individual, isn't it? I mean, how, what you love about horror is probably something very different than, yes, than what I like answers. about horror. Right. You know, if you, you know, some right horror, you know, the, obviously I'm, I'm working out a whole bunch of interesting shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's cathartic in that way, isn't it? stories you know so i think that's it but the you know the one thing i can say mm-hmm. is that horror absolutely and sci-fi absolutely um shaped me when i was a little kid watching twilight zone watching the outer limits even getting into you know there's some horror aspects for this for star trek and stuff mm-hmm. That, um, you know, monsters and all these kind of things, you know, things that, how would you react if all you had was a phaser and some sort of creepy crawly coming at you? No, I mean, to me, but to me, I'm still hearing intelligence and and empathy. I mean, like. Listen, guys, I just want to let you know, I've got about eight minutes Mm -hmm. left. Right. We are coming up. Is that okay? I'm so sorry. (laughs) I just want to say one thing. I have totally enjoyed this wonderful, intelligent enormously fun interview yeah thank you we've enjoyed having you thank you for having yes you know that's um, what it's all about you know it's a little different than just talking about your movies and everything it's it's more a a fun titillating psychological discussion really before you go uh because i know you're short on time i don't think uh you pitched anything at the start of the call do you want to take a moment to pitch what you're currently working on now Sure. Okay. Um, I've, I've, the audiobook of the Venus Complex, mm-hmm. which has been compared to American Psycho, another one of my favorite films, um, uh, is out narrated by Doug Bradley. That's on Amazon. Um, um, I'm working on a, a, a film based on a short story of mine called Blue Eyes, but that, of course, has been had to be put back because of the pandemic with Chris Alexander, former editor of Fangoria. Mm. Yeah, we just talked um, to you with him. Yeah, did you? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and of course, Dark Diddy's Presents, which is currently on Amazon Prime, has got the offer where I feature. And like I said, I'm dead at page eighteen, which is fine with me. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that. I know it's spoiled. Um, and the new one, uh, Dad, is coming out soon, which is um, a zombie apocalypse with a difference. Hmm. I'm working on a script called Zulu Zombies. I don't particularly like zombies. But um, I wrote a story about, did you guys ever see Zulu, the film with Stanley Baker and Michael Caine? No. Okay, it's all about uh, Rourke's Drift, which is this um, way station where uh, Zulus and the British Army were fighting. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is back in the 19th century. I think I've read about this, uh, though. Yeah, the spirits of the Zulus uh, get locked in this spirit bottle, and they get unleashed on London. Mm. In modern day okay, times. That I didn't read about. And, <laughs> no, 
<laughs> so it's sort of like, oh my God, it's from Rourke's Drift to Milton Keynes because part of it starts in Milton Keynes, which is this sort of weird shitty, well, it's not shitty, but it's a strange town mm. um, in the UK. So I'm working on that and um, I'm co-writing the script with Chris for Blue Eyes. Mm-hmm. And I've got another short story that's due at the end of April, uh, which is based on Dante's Inferno. Being published where? And for some reason, I've been given the topic of lust. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, who knows? <laughs> for some reason. So um, that's what's on my plate. But of course, it's very difficult. I don't know um, how you guys are dealing with it, but um, it's very hard for me to feel creative during these times. Mm. But I really need to light a little fire under my butt and um, get back to because my Zulu script is nearly finished. So I really need to. Well, for us, the creative part is the talking to people like you. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes, that definitely helps. Oh, well, it's been a, you know, absolute delight. Do you have any more questions? Not at the moment. Uh, I'll get with you offline to uh, get a bio from you and whatever links you want us to put on a bio page for you. And we'll take care of that separately okay okay well it's um like i said it's been an absolute delight and it's interesting sort of going through things Mm -hmm. that you suddenly realize wow that really made a a huge impression on Mm -hmm. me at the time yeah um walking down memory lane of horrors yes that's a good subtitle Mm. hey no, use that for the sub- <laughs> we'll use that as the subtitle for this episode. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I just hope I wasn't jumping. I am Ms. Tangent. Mm. You know, if you just let it, me run away, I will. <laughs> Not the only one, no. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thank you, uh, Barbie, for being our guest. And thank you to anybody out there listening. Please do come visit us at horrormixeshappy.com. Uh, we have a list there of people we'd like to interview. If you can help us connect with any of them, or if you'd like to know somebody you'd like to have added to the list, let us know. Um, you can hit, hit us up on social media. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, there are links on the website. Um, you can f- support us on Patreon. There's a merch page just in general. Let us know how we're doing. Horrormixeshappy.com. 